we're in a series on reconciliation. And biblical reconciliation, of course, is what God does in us to draw us closer to himself and to one another. And a word that is very often used in the New Testament to describe what it's like to have been restored to a right relationship with God and to a right relationship with other people is the word family. Um, and it comes up and it's referred to in a whole bunch of different ways. And we're going to explore some of that together today. Uh, for example, in Romans 16, uh, Paul, as he gets to the end of this letter, to a place he's never been, but to a bunch of people who he's met over the years, uh, he says this. He says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. And I said, well, that's great. Obviously, they've, they've crossed paths at some point and they've developed a close relationship. Uh, is this just a, a once-off kind of thing, that this is a particular person who he's got that kind of relationship with? Well, he goes on in his letter to Timothy and he says, well, don't rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. In other words, Paul, as he's giving pastoral advice to Timothy, who's uh, working in a church in Ephesus, he's saying, hey, treat all people this way. Treat old men as if they're, they're your father, whether you are naturally somebody who is close with them, whether you click with them, whether you've got a lot in common or you don't, treat them all this way. Treat old women as though they were your mothers. Treat uh, younger women as sisters. Uh, treat uh, men in the same ways. Fathers, brothers, women as sisters and mothers. And so it seems to be something that God wants us to develop a mindset in of, of whether or not I've spent a lot of time with somebody, whether or not I'm similar to somebody, whether or not I've got uh, stuff in common with them. I'm meant to develop and nurture an attitude where I think of people in my family that I've been brought into by the grace of God as if we really are family. It's not just a, a word. It's meant to, to carry a, a connotation for us that we change the way that we think of each other and the way that we act toward one another. Where does Paul get this idea from? Well, this truth is from God. Look at the way Jesus speaks in this passage. When Jesus saw his mother there, um, by the way, Jesus is on the cross in this moment. He's aware that he is soon going to die and he's also aware that he will rise again but in 40 days he'll ascend to heaven. He'll be gone. He'll be out of the picture. He'll be out of Mary's life physically. He'll be connected spiritually but physically he'll be gone and he's concerned about that. He saw the, his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby and he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son and to the disciple, here's your mother. And so he wants John to have a particular attitude toward Mary, and he wants Mary to have a particular attitude toward John. But it's not this kind of just sentimental feeling. Oh, listen, oh we're all one big happy family, it's great. It leads to practical outworking. Because what happens as a result? From that time on, this disciple, John, took her into his home. He actually acted as though she were family. And that's what we're being called to. There's another story uh, in the Gospels in Luke chapter 8 where again we're seeing that this isn't just a once-off. This isn't just Mary and John who uh, Jesus wants to have this attitude of familiness with. In uh, Luke 8 verse 19 we read, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him but they weren't able to get near him because of the crowd. So somebody told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Now we know Jesus loved his family. We just saw evidence of it that even on the cross undergoing such incredible personal torment, he's looking out for his family. These guys matter to Jesus. But what he says next is really, really interesting. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Do you find that a bit confronting? 
bit startling? And does it seem to you as he's being offhand and dismissive toward his family? Because he's not. What he is doing is saying, right, right now in this moment, I want you to know that there is also a greater family that you have been invited into. As important and as wonderful as our natural families are, as our legal families are, there is a spiritual family that we can all be participating in. A family that is defined by our willingness to hear God's word and put it into practice. In Mark 10, he goes even further than this. He says, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel, he's recognising, hey, sometimes when you want to follow Jesus, that's going to make it hard for you to continue in relationship with your family. You may even need to leave home. You may even need to leave your source of income or whatever that might look like. But if you're in that condition, no one who does that will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. What's Jesus pointing out? In the church, we have mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters who are hearing God's word and putting it into practice. And even if you've had to leave behind your natural family, which is not the case for all of us, and in our country that's really rare, uh, for somebody like uh, our friend Sam, they've experienced that. And, and if you want to follow Jesus, you can't actually stay at home and be in relationship with your family in the way that you would really love to. But even in that situation, when you become part of the church, you inherit a hundred times more. You don't just have one mother or father anymore. You've got hundreds of them. You don't just have one two, three, however many brothers and sisters you may have, you've got pretty much a limitless number of them. You even have sons and daughters in Christ because you're brought into God's family. Every woman is a mother and a sister and a daughter. Every man is a father and a brother and a son. Do you grasp how important that is to Jesus? He emphasises this a lot. So let me propose an idea to you. No matter what your experience of human family has been like, and we've all been through ups and downs and all of our journeys are different, but no matter what your experience of human family has been like, you have a spiritual family that is getting closer all the time and will one day be made perfect. Does that idea resonate with you? That no matter what your experience of family life has been like, Good, bad, in between, usually a bit of each. You have a spiritual family that is getting closer all the time and will one day be made perfect. Well, according to the Bible, as long as you and at least one other person want to hear God's word and put it into practice, what did Jesus say? You've got a mother, you've got a father, you've got a brother, you've got a sister, you've got a daughter, you've got a son. You become family. with All you need is one other person. You've got family. And because you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind to become more like Jesus, because you're growing closer to God, you're also growing, growing closer to each other and it's getting closer all the time. And because Jesus promised that when he returns, he will make that process complete, will be fully transformed, will be like him, Father, Son and Spirit, nothing between them. In the same way, each of us, there'll be nothing between us, we'll be perfectly united in him. It's a big truth. It's a hard truth to grab hold of, 
but it's a transforming truth. And some of us might say, you know what, I have tasted that sometimes. I have been in those moments where I've experienced the closeness of church family and it's been great and I really would like more of that. And some of us might look at that and say, oh, I don't know if that's actually possible because my experiences have kind of indicated that eh, you get so far but then you go back and I don't know if it's actually possible to get in closer all the time. And some of us might look at that and say, oh, well, Whatever, I'm not really that interested in that. I'm not attracted to it. I'm happy doing my own thing. I don't necessarily need to feel like I'm part of a family getting closer all the time. My life is fine as it is. Well, I want to step you through a story today of where this actually happened. Uh, to give us a sense of, well, what could that feel like? What could that be like? And how could we move closer to that? And I want to allow God to speak to us about whether or not we want it and what we're going to do about it if we do. So that's where we're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So I'd love for you to be there in your own Bibles on a device or if you've got a hard copy there. I'll put those words on the screen first time through, but then we're going to go through again and the words won't be up. So it'll be great to have it in front of you. But let me uh, read these verses to you. Paul writes to this community of Christians in Thessalonica. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We'd previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. And you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We weren't looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. And we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you'd become so dear to us. And surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is. The word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Now, this is a beautiful picture of the kind of community that we all want to be a part of. We thought over the last couple of weeks about the reconciliation process and how it happens when we receive God's truth together and we receive it from each other in all the different ways that we share and declare God's truth to one another. And as we are growing in truth, we are growing, growing closer to God and growing closer to each other. We call that the power of agreement. And Paul is writing about what that looks like here. When he and uh, Silas are in Thessalonica and they see people receiving the truth of God initially to come into God's family but then once they're in God's family they're receiving more and more of God's truth and they're receiving it not as oh this is Paul's opinion or this is Silas's opinion they're receiving it as God speaking to them and forming them together to be this new wonderful thing this family in Christ that they've been created to be that's the kind of community that we want to be a part of have you ever um, experienced what it's like 
to see somebody changing before your very eyes. To see the grace of God making a difference in somebody's life. And you're seeing more joy and more peace and more faithfulness and gentleness and kindness and goodness and all those fruits of the Spirit bubbling out. You're seeing them take steps of faith in God. You're seeing them love and cherish the wonderful truths of God more deeply. And you're going, "Ah, this is excellent. Who's ever experienced that? I think back to some youth Bible studies that I was a part of, and I think back to some uh, Easter camps, and just so many, I won't even start listing because then I won't stop, but so many times where you're just going, this is so exciting, this is the community I want to be a part of, and as they think back to their time in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas are going, man, wasn't that brilliant? They loved their time with the people there, and that was all because these guys heard God's truth and responded to it. They not only believed God's truth, they started to behave in line with God's truth and it made a massive difference. So how did that happen? And what can we learn from the process? Well, this is where we're going to step through the passage again to find out what worked really well, what was helpful in getting to this point that I think all of us really want to be at. So as we think about Paul and Silas, um, and this is using some pictures that we uh, looked at last week. Picture them in the, the top corner there. These are two men who have been gripped by the truth that is in Jesus. And they've learnt so much that God has taught them and equipped them to share with others, as he writes about in this passage. Now, um, but not that they are right in everything that they think and in everything that they do. They've not been made perfect, but they have been brought to a place of spiritual maturity where they can bring others closer to Christ as well. And so as uh, they went to a place called Philippi, there we go, how did that go for them as they stepped into that community and engaged with some other people who were all at different points in their, their own awareness of God's truth, how did that go for them? Because when Paul writes to the community at Thessalonica, which is just down the road a bit, he says to them, you know, previously in Philippi we'd been insulted, um, but even despite how hard it was, we dared to tell you the gospel. Let's find out a little bit more about what actually happened in Philippi so you can get a sense of where they were at at the start. They arrive in town and they go to a place of prayer by the river and they encounter a lady by the name of Lydia. Do you remember that story? Um, So the first experience they have as people who want to come into this city and tell the truth of God to the people of that city, um, they encountered a lady named Lydia and Lydia already had a fair bit of God's truth. She was somebody who was a God-fearer. She'd come to know that there's one true God and she devoted herself to him. She didn't know about Jesus yet so Paul and Silas got to tell her about Jesus she became a believer so they became spiritual family she's like a daughter to them they've nurtured faith in her and so they've got community right then and there they share the gospel with some other people and and they have an experience in town where there's a young lady who's a slave and she's telling the future and she's revealing uh, hidden secrets to people through a demonic uh, power that was uh, manifest inside her and Paul and Silas rescued her from that they cast the demon out but her owners were not very happy about that Uh, they preferred it when they were able to charge people a lot of money to hear what she could tell them Uh, so they started a riot Paul and Silas got beaten up and thrown in jail that's not gone well Um, living out the truth of God that that that's not God's will for us to be in captivity to these evil forces Uh, that caused them to be in conflict with some people who didn't want to hear God's truth they wanted to continue in what was working for them And so there was a price that Paul and Silas had to pay when they became into conflict with these pagan crowds. They got hurt. They got, as uh, Acts 16 tells us, severely beaten. 
And Paul knew what it was like to take a beating. It happened numerous times. So when he describes a beating as being severe, or when Luke, who wrote the account, describes that, you know it was a severe beating. And they're thrown in jail. But was that the end of the story? No, God sent an earthquake, do you remember? And the jailer comes in and he's like, oh no, um, it's on my watch that these um, prisoners have escaped. I know the penalty for that. And so he's looking to take his own life. And Paul says, hold on, we're still here. So around the corner they come and the jailer's like, what are you still doing here? You know, open door. You guys could have left. And that was an opportunity to, again, share God's truth. The jailer became a Christian. So somebody who was far from God at the start now comes to know God because of that powerful encounter. So by the end of their time in Philippi, they've been beaten up and abused and, and harassed by crowds of people, mistreated by the authorities, but they also leave that town having a family in Christ. Uh, some who started already a little way along the journey, some who started a long way away, but it's not where you start from that matters, it's the direction you're moving in. Uh, and Paul and Silas had the privilege of bringing these people to come to know Jesus. And then they get to Thessalonica, and they're feeling a bit nervous, because as excited as they are to have now uh, experienced church family in Philippi, it came at a cost, and it was tough. Not many of us, I imagine, would enjoy the thought of being beaten up and thrown in jail. And so there's a nervousness in them when they get to Thessalonica. How's this going to go? Now, I wonder, have you ever had to engage in a new environment and step into and pursue relationship with people in Christ, but you're kind of going, I don't know how this is going to go? Because maybe in your last situation, it didn't go that well. Maybe you had tastes of how good it could be, like they did with Lydia and like they did with the jailer and his family, but maybe you also bear some scars where church family hasn't been what church family is meant to be. And, or maybe the surrounding community has been so hostile, you're like, man, I'm just putting my head down. I'm not, I'm not sharing Christ with anybody. And maybe there's a nervousness in you about sharing and declaring God's love because when you do, you can become a target. But just as Jesus said in Mark 10 to Paul and Silas, you know what, whatever you lose, you're going to inherit so much more in the church. God gives them the strength to say, you know what, it might cost us, but the church is worth it. Having a family in Christ is worth it. Seeing people come to new life in Jesus is worth it. So with God's help, they pursue it. And, and what gives them the strength to do that? Hang on a minute. There we go. It's this. It's that they put pleasing God as their highest priority. Ultimately, if it's just about people, is this going to go well or is this going to go poorly? Um, I don't know where you're going to go as to how much risk you're prepared to take. But when your highest priority is actually pleasing God and you know how he wants us to treat others, that gives you the courage to step in and to give it another shot. So Paul and Silas put pleasing God as their highest priority. We're going to read those first six verses and see how you spot it in those. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We'd previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel, in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, nor from you or anyone else. 
if you're going to get to here, if you're going to get to the point where you're able to share God's truth with others and you're going to have the joy of seeing how they receive it, you're going to have to care most of all, not about how that turns out, but you're going to have to care most of all about the one who asks you to do it. They put pleasing God as their highest priority. Imagine what that might look like. So let's just say, for argument's sake, I'm not assuming this, but let's just say we get to the end of today and you see me afterwards and you say, thanks, Mike, for that message. That was so helpful. I mean, let's just imagine that 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 could be the case. Now, imagine this. I say to you, whatever. I do it for God, not for you. How's that going to feel? bit off, right? But let's flip it around and possibly the more likely scenario where you, where you get to the end of today and you see me afterwards and you go, you know, like there's a couple of things you said and I'm not sure if, if I agree with it or I'm not sure how it's supposed to work. I've got a few questions. Um, can we talk about this? And I would say, nah, done my job. That's what the Bible says. If you've got a problem with it, go somewhere else. <laughs> Actually, now that I say that out loud... That'd be awesome. No, you, again, that's just off, isn't it? So the idea that you don't care what other people think and how they respond when you're sharing God's truth, it's just it's ridiculous. Of course we care. I care about whether it blesses you. I care whether it causes you some concern. Uh, and we want to deal with that. But, but the big thing here is you can care about something without being controlled by something. And you've got to know the difference. See, Paul and Silas cared so much about pleasing God, that it controlled them. And even though it's risky, and even though we might get hurt again, we care so much about pleasing God and being faithful to what he's called us to do that we're going to step into this and we're going to do it and we're going to give it another try. Um, So they did that. Now, um, in the case of the Thessalonian church, brilliant, because they responded and they heard what Paul and Silas shared and said, this isn't just these guys' opinions, this is what God's saying to us. And they responded in faith. And the outcome was this beautiful relationship, which is why we've got this letter. Paul's writing back to these people who he's come to love so much and they've come to love him. And that's what we're celebrating. Now, what this letter doesn't tell us is what Acts 17 does, which is that there were some, again, just like in Philippi, who didn't like it, who didn't appreciate what Paul and Silas shared, did not consider it to be the words of God. And so these people who were part of Paul's own ethnic group, the Jewish community, they rejected him, they organised a mob, Uh, Paul and Silas had to go into hiding, they had to get out of there. So they didn't actually get to spend very long in Thessalonica because some of the response was really hostile. And what gave Paul and Silas the courage to do that? Again, we're pleasing God first. Some people are going to receive it. Some people aren't. And if I'm so concerned with whether or not it's going to cost me that relationship that I'm going to seal my lips, I'll never do what God's calling me to do. But when pleasing God is my number one priority, yeah, I'll be willing to step into that, just like Paul and Silas were. That leads us to the second thing, though. Paul and Silas actually delighted in the work of spiritual parenting. And as we continue to read from verse, uh, the middle of verse 6, it says, As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, 
but our lives as well because you'd become so dear to us. When Paul says we could have been a burden, well, culturally in, in that day, if you're a travelling teacher, you would expect to be hosted in somebody's home. You'd expect to be treated like a bit of a VIP um, and uh, a little bit like what Jamie shared with us uh, at the Last Supper. Um, Jesus should have been the one being served, but instead he's the one who lowers himself and serves others. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas do in this situation. We don't want to expect anything from you. We just want to love you and serve you. Now, on Friday, uh, going to uh, something that uh, A-Dubs shared earlier about having another great grandy, Raylan. Um, I had my first cuddle with Raylan on Friday. Uh, she's less than a month old. Now, who's ever held a newborn? Uh, so then you'll get what Paul's talking about here. You know that when you're holding a newborn bub, you're thinking, you know, am I being gentle enough? Am I supporting the head? Because there's a lot of weight there. Is the neck being properly supported? You don't want to make any loud noises or sudden moves. You, you're just so conscious of being gentle. Um, when, when I took uh, Raylan, uh, Carolyn uh, had a first, of course. Um, she, she, it, it wasn't a case of rugby pass, here you go, your turn. Now, because you're taking so much care, right? And Paul said, that's our attitude toward you guys. Um, not that they were physical babies. They were babies in Christ. They're so new in this. They, they were so gentle. We don't want to do anything, including allow you to treat us the way that you really ought to treat us. We just want to be so careful that nothing gets in the way of our relationship with each other and our relationship in the Lord. We want you to be able to receive everything you need from us. Now, are these Thessalonian Christians going to grow from being babies into being you know, eventually children, young adults, parents themselves? Of course they are. That intergenerational thing, that's going to be happening. But here's the thing. That sense of being so, so careful so attentive to how we need to be gentle, that's actually not just how we treat physical babies or spiritual babies. That's something that God asks us to do all the time. How do you want me to treat you? In a rough or uncaring way? Oh, well, that's how you think, get over it. No, you want me to be gentle with you. What is one of the fruit of the Spirit? No prizes for this because it's obvious. Gentleness. It's what we're all called to. And Paul and Silas are modelling this. Hey, in our interactions with others, gentleness is so important. The word mother in this passage literally means nursing mother. You know, when Carolyn was nursing our kids, um, she changed her diet because some things don't go well when they're getting processed by babies, right? Um, some of you will know more about that than I do. I just remember garlic was out. And we use a fair bit of garlic in our cooking, so you know, that was a big deal. I had to remember that. So as, as a parent, you're being thoughtful. What's the best way that I can nourish and nurture this precious child in Christ? wonder how much thought we give to that as we look around our church community. What's the best way to nurture faith in these people that God has called me into family with? You know, Jay and Lenny aren't expecting Raylan to unpack the dishwasher or clean her room just yet. That'll come. What are we expecting from each other? Are we willing to tolerate each other in where we're at in our development? And to bear the cost of serving one another in ways that are appropriate, but in ways that help each other to grow to that point where we are able to be mature in Christ. And that's where Paul's focus goes as the passage continues from verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. 
We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. So they're doing all the work, like a parent of a newborn is doing all the work at the moment. You are witnesses and so is God of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Did you notice the emphasis there? Yes, Paul and Silas are taking the responsibility on themselves because wanting to please God first and wanting to parent others well means that you do that. But they're not trying to keep them as young. They're trying to urge these guys to live up and do exactly the same thing for other people. They want these Thessalonian Christians to become spiritual parents themselves, to live this kind of life which is worthy of the Lord. So they're nurturing them. The way that they work alongside them is showing these guys how they can embrace their work. The way that they walk out their everyday life in verse 10 is showing these guys how they can walk out their everyday life. The words they use in verse 12 are words that will build into the faith of these people. They nurture their children in their truth and are helping them to grow up. Are we doing that? One of the things that I love most about my job is the times I see the way people are doing that. And I see it in so many different places. Sometimes people will tell me what's happening in their small group or they'll tell me about a conversation they had with somebody that week or I'll hear about an act of service that was performed. And I see all these ways that people are nurturing one another and building into each other. It's beautiful. Are we doing it as well as we possibly could? Of course not. We've not been made perfect yet. We're on the journey. So my question for us is, what's our next step? What's our next step to wanting to please God more than anything else and wanting to nurture one another as sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in Christ, helping one another to live lives worthy of God? What could that look like? And I don't want to tell you, I want you to think about where you're at and what your next step might be. Uh, I know this morning that the kids in Kids Church are learning a bit about service and they'll be looking to serve us practically in some ways during morning tea. Um, Keep an eye out for that. I wonder if you'll be willing to ask God what would bring him pleasure as you go out today. I wonder if you'll see the opportunity to nurture maybe some of those kids who are serving us during morning tea time. Maybe it's to show them that they have not just one mum or dad, they've got a whole bunch of them. And because we're all in the same space today, we want to be able to communicate that to them. Or maybe it's to one of, some of us who is a little bit older, but they do need a bit of spiritual parenting today. Maybe it's some comfort. Maybe it's some encouragement. Maybe it's urging to live lives worthy of God, just like Paul wrote about in verse 12. Who needs to see a glimpse from you of how you're seeking to live for God? Who needs some words from you today? So we started off by talking about the spiritual family that God invites us into, recognising that with our own experiences, that will carry some doubt, that will carry some anxiety, that will carry some sense of cynicism. There'll be all kinds of things, but there may also be a sense of hunger. Yeah, I really do want that. I really do think that we were made for that, because we were. We want to be a family where none of us feels like we don't belong. We want to be a family where none of us are disconnected and isolated. We want to be a family where none of us are treated like we don't measure up. We want to be a family where we are so keen to please God in every way that we treat one another the way he treats us. We nurture each other with gentleness 
and faithfulness. So that what we believe and how we behave agrees more and more with the truth of Jesus. Now, if you believe the Bible calls us to be that kind of family, then you need to behave that way. So what would that look like for you? What would it look like to delight in pleasing God and being a spiritual parent to someone who needs to be nurtured in the truth? Will you help our family get closer to what God has designed us to be? Will you be that person, like a Paul or a Silas in Thessalonica, who enables that community to be a real family? Not a family in name, but a family in experience. It's possible by God's strength. Let's pray.